Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you're Zooming in from. My name is Doug Brunke. I'm the founder and CEO of Global Chamber, and welcome to a conversation with Kyle Hegarty. It's Insights and Tips for the Global Business Nomad. And we've called it that because he has a brand new book. It's available this week. Uh, if you're catching this live at a very discounted price, I'm sure we'll talk about that. It's, the book is called The Accidental Business Nomad, A Survival Guide for Working Across a Shrinking Planet. And so everybody in the global tribe understands what's happening in the world uh, around shr a shrinking planet and the ability to do work anywhere, having the ability to do that. You know, hopefully we'll, with a pan without a pandemic, we'll be able to appreciate that even more. But in the meantime, we certainly, I think, can understand that the virtual world allows us to do work anywhere. Kyle, in his case, he's based out of Singapore currently, and so a lot of his perspectives are there, but he's also originally an American, and so we're going to hear more about his background, the things that he's worked on, the, uh, the book, and what we can learn from the book. So, Kyle, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, morning in Singapore, 7 a.m., I think. That's right, As, and, and I'll, I'll prove it because the sun will be quickly rising here behind me, so my, my background will probably light up over the next 15 or 20 minutes. <laughs> one, one of the funny things about being a, at the equator is that, you do, it's a good and bad, you don't get the long sunsets or the long sunrises just because we're right at kind of, so, so it's like the sun just comes up. So the, there's no... <laughs> There's no dawn. It's just darkness, and then it's just light. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, it's, it's so so. Uh, and then that, along with the heat, and also, uh, Singapore has more lightning strikes per square kilometer than anywhere in the world, as you probably I, know. That is a good fun fact. I remind my two kids of that as they get, drop into the the pools that are everywhere here. Uh, yes, got you. Got to be careful, but that's part of being the. The, the nomad that you are. And so somehow you ended up in, in Singapore. So maybe what we should do is, you know, let's talk a little bit about you and your own journey of both accidents and plan. And then let's get into some of the, the concepts that you've got in the book. Sure. Uh, so that people can learn a little bit more and, and probably be teased into be interested to reading a, a little bit more as well. So how, how did this all start for you? You know, I, so my background, I'm a sales and marketing guy from small businesses uh, really since 2001. So my, my background is helping other companies build their sales pipelines one way or the other. I was doing that out of the United States and it uh, became, there were opportunities to have clients do this stuff elsewhere uh, to go overseas or if they were trying to expand. And I got ahead of myself. I, I basically said, look, we can do this or we're doing this in other parts of the world if you're interested. Uh, having really realistically no idea what I was getting myself into. Uh, and, and before I knew it, companies were just saying yes. And they were going for it. And I found that I had a you know, bag full of signed contracts and all of these promises that I had made to companies saying that I was going to help them build pipelines across Southeast Asia, which seemed to be the biggest area region in terms of demand. So I had to, you know, just get onto planes and start figuring this stuff out. That's really where the book starts because, uh, you know, kind of a clueless Westerner 
showing up on a one-way ticket, um, trying to figure this stuff out in, in real time. And very quickly, what I found was that the, there were a number of cultural obstacles. Uh, obviously, business is done differently in different parts of the world. I think there's some really good resources that help get people thinking about that stuff. But what isn't as apparent is some of the, I think, kind of the invisible communication styles. For example, you might be starting out in a new business or opening a new office. In many parts of the world, people who work with you, work for you, partner with you, might see that you're doing something totally wrong, but they might not speak up and say anything. And one of the real frustrating things, I think, is that you know, you, you go in there, you're trying to figure out how things are going and you're not getting any feedback. Or if you are getting feedback, it's being given to you in ways that you might not be reading it correctly or interpreting it. And so that's the area that I'm getting into to try and help companies decode this stuff faster so that they're not making the same expensive mistakes that I and many others have made. You know, sometimes that feedback is pretty subtle. Well, I'll give you a, I'll give you a weird example. Uh, last week or a week before, I was doing a, a training program for a California company in California, but they've got a massive engineering and uh, R&D uh, uh, office in Taiwan. And I got connected through the person over in the team in Taiwan because they were having trouble communicating back to headquarters, especially in 2020, as people can't get onto flights and sort stuff out face to face. And so he and I, this one guy in Taiwan, he, he's Taiwanese. We have we kind of hit it hit it off. We had a good rapport. So we were chatting before our session started. And it was about five minutes before the Zoom call officially kicked off. And we said, okay, right, well, I'll be right back. You know, you do the kind of, you know, you just go off and top up your coffee. Well, um, I got back from my little five minute break and he kind of looked at me and he just said, you know, um, what kind of microphone do you use? So, oh, well, I, I, it's, it's this, this thing. And then, you know, it's, it's a, he said, oh, so it's a really strong microphone. It's a real, that's a really good microphone. Yeah, it's a really good microphone. I said, okay, yeah, thank you, I, I guess, you know. And, I, and we go off and do our event. Later in the day, I'm thinking about this because this is a guy, this is a part of the world that it has indirect communication. So what the heck was this guy trying to tell me? And I thought back to my little five minute break, which is where I went across the hallway to where my bathroom is. Oh no. <laughs> I won't tell you, I'll, I won't feed, you know, I won't give you more details, but I'm 95% sure that that was how he was giving me feedback that, you know, hey, mute your, mute your microphone. <laughs> so that, you know, it's, it's kind of a goofy example, but, uh, but that's how, that's oftentimes how you get feedback. Sure. Yeah. I mean, and, 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 and it's hard to pick up on that unless you're looking for it. That's right. Uh, you, you, you talked about in the book about, and in the summary of the book, uh, that it's a series of, of funny, tragic, expensive mistakes. And so I, I understand the tragic and expensive ones, but calling them funny, I guess you have to have a good sense of humor. I think actually that's one of the lessons from the entire experience, which is if you are going overseas, if you're expanding, if you're working in other parts of the world, uh, 
you can't take everything too seriously. You will burn out faster. Uh, I've been spending the last 10, 15 years watching expats based here or wherever I'm traveling. And one of the things, and it was kind of an unexpected finding, but the people that just went with the flow a little bit more survived and thrived much better than people who came in all guns blazing. We've, we're going to make this work. You know, we're going to make, we're doing it our way. This is how it's going to be done. And I'm not going to stop until we get success. Uh, that kind of hard, rigid task-based mindset, it, it doesn't work. And the people that go home empty-handed are typically the ones that don't have that level of, um, quite frankly, being able, able to laugh in the face of adversity to a degree. Yep. yep. The way uh, that was described to me is, is a lot of the, it was done by Todd Cornell, who's our executive director in Northern Colorado. He spent 20 years in China and he, he was contrasting the China view versus the U.S., American view of things and Americans tend to walk into a situation and always trying to solve problems. Yes. Like everything is a problem and everything stops until the problem is solved. And the Chinese approach is sort of like water flowing down a hill, you know, and if you're a rock, that's Americans view that as a problem. So they want to yes. get rid of it. But yep. the Chinese just let the water flow around yep. the rock. And I, you know, I don't know necessarily that it's a China versus us thing. However, I can definitely understand how that might relate to what you just described. I think in the U, I think the U.S. is such. I, I think the outlier here is the U.S. So it, we, you know, we can okay. talk about China. We can talk about other places. I think the U.S. is unusual in that regard because um, you've, you know, the the U.S. has, for the most part, working systems, working infrastructures, uh, a society where laws are, uh, you know, generally understood and respected. There's a strong legal and uh, protection, you know, there, there's legal protections in place. Other parts of the world just don't have that level of, uh, of, of certainty. And there it means there's a lot more uncertainty. And so if you are surviving, if you are working in a, in a part of the world that is much more uncertain as to what's around the bend, and what happens next, I think that forms how people start changing their behaviors to be a little bit more fluid. Uh, a quick example, okay. you mentioned China when they've, they've done a series of um, exercises or activities to tramp down or tamp down on uh, corruption, especially the officials. They were spending lavishly at five-star hotels, and there was all sorts of problems with this. And and there's a you know it's a it's a complicated, fascinating but complicated story. Uh, one example: so all of a sudden they just banned you weren't allowed to go to five-star hotels anymore, uh, especially if you had any connection to the CCP or to any of the government groups. So you're a hotel. What do you do? Well, very simple: you knock a star off your. Uh, the front the front door and uh, problem solved. And quite frankly, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> that to me is a fluid w response, right? I mean, that's just, that's, there's, there's the rock. Here we go. We're going to flow over it. No problem. Exactly right. Flexible like water and resilience is always something that for international work is talked about as, as a key aspect, right? Taking, but I, but, taking it in and then reacting in a, in a, in a hopefully constructive way. 
And I think, again, just to kind of find, you know, wrap this one up, but I think that you get a lot of Western, especially Western, especially Americans who come in with contracts and uh, agreements and these rules, and they look at them as black and white documents that have, a, they, they have a, a meaning to it that other parts don't have. And if you are in another part of the world, you're not going to change that part of the world. You have to change to that part of the world. So uh, that that's a very big aha moment a lot of people have to wrestle with. It's much easier to wear slippers than to carpet the entire world. There you go. There you go. There's all sorts of those expressions. That's a good one. Uh, uh, that was that was Stuart Smalley <laughs> on Saturday night. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Believe it or not. So, um, so tell us more about um, what prompted you to do the book? Uh, and, and I'm particularly interested in the word accidental, um, that, which, you know, there's certainly things that happen in life. Uh, you sound like you made a conscious effort to do what you were doing. Um, yep. so tell us more about how it relates to you and, and what you were trying to do with, with, with this. Yeah. So the, um, we'll, we'll start with that. The, the accidental word, my one of the arguments that I've made is that I would call it the 21st century. So let's call it the turn of the millennium. Uh, business has just rapidly gone global in a number of different ways. I don't need to get into the details, but technology has made it happen. Uh, markets opened up trade agreements and we went into this kind of hyper globalization phase where the more people I was talking to, especially back in the US and elsewhere, all of a sudden, they're talking to people all over the world. All of a sudden, they have partners now in India, and they've got this weird conference call now that's once an, an evening per week. And you start, you start seeing these patterns. You go, you know, it wasn't like that 10 years ago. It wasn't like that 20 years ago, uh, where your email dialogues are scattering all throughout the planet versus just working more in a, in a, in a local environment. And the argument is that so many people have just become accidentally working in global situations, whether they have passports or not. And the book was written pre 2020, pre COVID. So I was focused more on the travel, you know, thinking about it saying, you know, I think that there's a lot of people who work in global environments, global situations who don't spend their lives in airports and flying around the planet. They're now dealing with this virtually. Uh, 2020, if anything, just accelerated my argument by, by many multiples, uh, not, not in any way I would have wanted to, but, um, you know, you, again, like water, we're going to flow with it. But so, so yeah, I, um, I was partially accidental. I mean, I, I, I was asking for it, right? I mean, I was going out saying, hey, we can do this anywhere. Uh, what I was doing was I was following the business demand. And so it wasn't necessarily, I didn't sit back when I was younger saying, you know what, I'm going to be, I'm going to go to Asia. I'm going to, I, I, I am passionate about this part of the world. Honestly, I, I, I don't know, maybe, you, you know, we probably know people who they just discover some country or some part of the world or some language and they're all in. Uh, I have friends who just, you know, they heard Japanese and they just find the culture so fascinating and they're gone. They're, they're just, it's just part of them. Uh, I'm, that's not me. I, I, I'm, I'm interested. I'm curious, but I don't have a, you know, giant uh, passion for a particular culture. I'm just kind of interested in finding where business opportunities are. So for people who 
don't want to spend the hours and hours and weeks and months and years who, uh, you know, to, to go super deep into one particular place, uh, who don't want to read the decades of academic literature that talk about the nuanced cultural variations and they use all very complicated words. Uh, for people who don't have the ability to pick up and learn 10 languages because that's now their team is from 10 different parts, I wanted to do almost a generalist overview to say, okay, here's how you can think about adapting and working in these different parts without becoming a deep dive expert in every single country. That, that's really cool because very few people can, right? I mean, quite, quite, quite frankly, uh, the only person that, well, there've been a few, but one person I met along the way was a guy who ran the CIA, Bobby Inman is his name. And I remember him speaking to a group and he started talking about the world and he would go country to country talking about the past and the current and the history yep. or the future. Yep. And, yep. and it, 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 at that moment made me realize that there's 195 countries and yes. to know all of that is nearly impossible. So I love, I love what you're talking about there because other than Bobby Inman, uh, which is, you know, one in a million, very yes. few of them have the ability to do that. I, I mean, you know, South, I keep using Southeast Asia as my backyard. And I think it is, it, and it will continue to be the growth story for emerging growth markets in the coming years, especially I think how the post COVID will, will fly. Because I think that a lot of these regions or this region has, is in the process, I think of getting over this faster, I think. That's probably a whole nother conversation, but I, I think that Southeast Asia is going to have a faster recovery than other parts. So I, I don't think that the Southeast Asia story is going away anytime soon. Uh, but I've been in these situations where, you know, I, I put offices in, uh, in Indonesia and in Thailand and Malaysia and Vietnam. And I was on a call, I think with somebody, it was a partner, it was a, it was a Westerner who was established in Bangkok in Thailand. And he said, well, well, you're, you know, you're, you're focused on Thailand here. So are you learning the language? And I'm kind of looking at my calendar on my, you know, the side of my eye, half hour later, I've got a call in Indonesia and the other half hour, I've got Vietnam. And then I've got the you know, <laughs> Philippines and, I, and I'm just, I'm kind of laughing. I'm just like, there's no, I, I would love to, I, no, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to celebrate ignorance here, but I, it's just, I can't, I can't go, I can't be a prof I can't be an expert in all of these things. And, and the fact that we're living in this world right now where it's a click of a button. So I would do these round table, you know, half morning or mornings where every half hour I was in a different country uh, virtually, which is now quite common. Uh, so what is it that you can do without, you know, being the exceptional, uh, beautiful mind, you know, leader of the CIA who can, who can, you know, p absorb all this stuff. I'm, I'll, I'll, we'll call people like me, the us normal guys, just trying to, just trying to get through this. So the, then the question is, what can you do to uh, avoid some of these problems and hopefully come up with some cool ideas to, to, to succeed there? So can anybody do it or do you have to have like certain skill set to kind of enter the room and then, then they'll be able to figure it out. Anybody can do it. Uh, the one thing that I look for, and I, I do a lot of coaching for people, 
And I'm, you know, a co to co do a one-on-one -on -one coaching engagement is a two-way street. So it's kind of like you, you kind of feel each other out. The one thing I'm looking for is does that person think he or she is right? If they think that their way is the right way, we've got a problem. And so I'm actually like, there, there, there was a uh, Australian it's, it's a client, but they wanted me to work with this uh, guy out of Perth and he inherited a team across Southeast Asia. And it was his first time working in this region. He was used to Australia specific. And he was really, he got so frustrated when, you know, if I told him that um, Taiwan example about indirect communication and how his team wouldn't probably give him direct feedback if something was going wrong, or his team wouldn't uh, come up with other ideas if he gave them an idea because the boss is always right. You could see almost the steam coming out of his ears going, well, that everything I just said is stupid. That's just dumb. My way, I've been building my business here in Australia for 30 years. You better believe I know what I'm doing and they need to adjust to my style. And, and that almost, that was almost verbatim, right? Cause I, you get into a, a moment of frustration and, and you kind of, you dig in and there are some people that dig in that way. And if that's your starting point, you've got a massive problem. Um, so that, that would be how I would answer your question in a long winded way to say, can anybody do it? Yes. But if you think that your way is the right way, you're going to really wrestle with this kind of stuff. Uh, from there, let's assume that there's more of an open, open-mindedness and, and a curiosity. Then you can start uh, layering, I think, some tools that'll help you get there. Will it make us all uh, international masters? Absolutely not. But what we're trying to do is jump over some of these basic mistakes as a first starting point and then be able to uh, build relationships in a better way to come up with, with more interesting ideas. Okay. How, how does the book let us do that? What, what kind of uh, education or tips or techniques are, are there? Well, the subtitle is called The Survival Guide to Working. And, and it's, well, it might not be the most, hopefully it's not too misleading because it's not a prescriptive step-by-step -step thing. Uh, at the end of every chapter, there's a couple of bullet points with some ideas to say, okay, look, based on the story, here's a couple of lessons here. And then at the end of it, I'm trying to put this together and say, okay, as a starting point, here is sort of a, uh, you know, here's my 1200 word essay as to where you go next. Um, what I've done is I've put together a online training. It's actually a live training course, which goes through just five modules of what I think are the most important tools to get people heading in that direction. And I'll walk you through that at a high level. But the first tool, uh, once we establish that uh, we're not all right, you know, we're not all, our way is not the right way. Uh, the first thing we need to do is understand ourselves better. We need to understand that, you know, are you a direct or indirect communicator? How do you give feedback? How do you think about building relationships uh, in a business context? How do you think about doing that virtually? How do you handle confrontation? Uh, all of these things, right? So let's, let's measure that. Let's define it. 
And then let's understand that whatever, however you answer all of those questions, and maybe you don't know the answer because you're not used to thinking about it that way, that's fine. But then you can start looking and seeing, well, actually there's data out there that shows that there's people who, whatever, whatever your answer is, there's a lot of people out there who have the complete opposite outlook on, on life and how business is done. So if you can start defining what that spectrum looks like, that's a really good starting point. And so I look at the behavioral um, part of this from an individual standpoint. I look at the culture data that we've been talking about a little bit. There's decades of research that's been done. And the good news is it's now kind of here in 2020, it's, they've done some good data visualizations that you can use to get a quick sense as to where that is. And then I start rolling out tools. Like what, what can people do? If you're on a team uh, all of a sudden and you've got people in five different countries and you know, maybe vi visually speaking, you, you're all, all over the, the map, how do you start building, uh, how do you do that? And, and my advice is you, you bring everybody through this together. Uh, you can do it on your own or you could work with somebody like me, but somewhere along the line, You've got to have these honest conversations about defining what these differences are and then coming up with ways to figure out how you're going to bridge it. Uh, there's not, I, what I've seen is that there's not a prescriptive standard answer. So I can't come into a team and say, here is exactly what you, you know, ex here, here's how you're going to change it. I find it's much more powerful for the conversation to happen within a team so that they can define how that change is going to look on their own. I'm just kind of giving templates and a little bit of uh, framework to have those conversations happen. So that's, that's the starting point. Uh, and, and one other just quick bit would be to say, okay, you're not going to be a master and an expert in all of these countries. Well, oftentimes you're talking to somebody from these countries. They might not be, they, they are experts in the fact that that's where they're from. They know their country better than anybody else. So you've got a resource right in front of you. And the key then is to build the relationship to be able to extract that information to be able to help everybody. And what I found is that it has this kind of force multiplier effect because people like talking about their local markets. Uh, they like talking about how business is done. They like trying to talk it through. They often don't think about it that way. But if you can ask a couple of really smart questions, you can get some really cool conversations going. So I guess my answer is, you know, outsource this. <laughs> outsource this to the person that you're trying to, trying to work with because they probably have some really cool insights, uh, but you're not going to find out unless you ask. Some of that is uh, talking to people that have that self-realization that you talked about, right? Yep. It's, you know, I know who I am. I know how somebody within my own culture is different and can be. So they've yep. separated themselves from the culture and the business path. And then they can now look at another country or another culture and kind of overlay that. And not, I mean, how many people really are able to do that? Not many. So that's why we start with that for, you know, there's a chapter, I think it's called think about you and you've got to start with yourself. Uh, everybody jumps ahead. They go, Oh, I got to learn about this new country. It's like, no, 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 no. You gotta, you gotta <laughs> learn about yourself. And that's one of the cool things about traveling. That's one of, that's why people love uh, adventuring, right? They love exploring new, new things because you, you go, wait a minute, that's how you do this. 
that's incredible. I, I never, and, and it's these, you have these moments. I, I, I feel I had this conversation last week, having lived outside of the U S for almost 15 years, I feel more American now than I did 15 years ago because I've kind of seen it. I've seen myself almost from the outside, uh, good, bad, ugly, all, all of everything mixed in. Uh, and I, and I've, I've spent time thinking about the values that I think are most important and that I think do originate or, or are um, comfortable in, in a part, place like the United States. And I'm very proud of that. Uh, I'm also you know, scared about how some of the other values aren't, aren't being focused on or, or, or other areas. So like, I, I, it's a conversation that really needs to happen with more people right now. Uh, but it, I found it easier to have that personal conversation once I got smacked around a little and realized that I was in a place where things were different than what I was used to. Got it. Interesting. Cause I, I had the same impact or it had the same impact on me. Um, and I think your, your call to action to have people understand that is probably never been more important considering that a lot of those values, probably I'm assuming that you value about the U S that I value about the U S are under threat right now, you know, in, in the country. And, and you've got people waving the flag that are diametrically opposed to what probably you and I think of as the greatest assets of the country. Yes, yes. <laughs> and, and, yes, and it's, and it's terribly troubling. It, it, it is. Um, one of the things that I'm most proud of, and I, I think that America, I just think they nailed it, was the, the, the concept of the American dream. Uh, and, and this might be sounding a little bit dated, but other parts of the world, just you, you don't grow up with that. Or if you do, you grow up with that because it's the American dream. It's not a dream that's branded <laughs> from your part of the world. And, but it's an incredibly powerful export, this concept that you can be anything or you, know, you, can, you can rise up from wherever you are and you can make it. Um, I believe that in many ways that idea has been exported. And I also kind of believe, and I'm scared that like it's kind of been forgotten in the U S a little bit or, or structures uh, have started to form where it becomes harder to actually have that opportunity to make it. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I think that so, so in other words, I was playing with the, with the, with the idea when I was writing the book about, you know, the American dream is, has gone global. Uh, are we, are you ready for that? Cause it's going to mean a lot more competition. That's a great way to look at it. That, that hadn't thought of that before, but that's absolutely correct. With here in 2020, as everybody's now working remotely and if people are, if as companies are rethinking about what their office means, what their headquarters means, you know, you used to hire within a certain geographic radius because you'd need to have people who have access to your, to your office. If that gets eliminated, which in some cases it, that's happening, what that means is your pile of resumes is about to go up by about a billion. And I think that people need to really think about, about that. There are people that that, would, that should be incredibly scary and threatening. There are other people who that's incredibly amazing and, and um, massively you know, 
creating new opportunities yeah. and everything in between. Um, but yeah, I mean, if, 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 if remote and distant team work is the, is the way of the future, we need to be prepared for all of these other components. And I think that having that ability to communicate across these different working styles will become more and more critical. So, you, you know, you want to talk about a skill set that's going to be required moving forward. It's that. It's that ability to have that self-awareness, the awareness of your team, and to be able to figure out how to tie these people together. Uh, I looked at one character specifically in the book who I thought, because the question I was asking was, it's easy, it's easy to point fingers and to talk about, you know, the, the, as you'd said, the, you know, the tragic, the expensive, and hopefully the fun, or sometimes the funny mistakes that get made. It's, I, I didn't want to dwell on that. I wanted to say, well, wait a minute, who's cracked the code? Who's figured this stuff out? And there's one character uh, who, I, who I get into who I just thought he, he just managed global teams better than anybody else I've seen. Uh, I've not seen companies figure this out. Like I, I can't point to, I can't tell you that there's one company that comes to mind that actually does this well. I can tell you about individuals who have built teams that have done this well. And this, I, I've done, I do a profile on this guy and some of his approaches because I, I find that a really fascinating skill set to start thinking in more detail about, especially, especially these days. Are there certain types of uh, either people or cultures that still challenge you? Oh, uh, every single day. My uh, my wife's British, so I'm you know that that's you know that's a whole other book. Um, <laughs> Nothing else. No, needed. no, no. I, again, you've got to have that. At least I have. I try and put a sense of humor to this stuff. It'll it'll probably get me in trouble, but um, the it's interesting. Um, when I get companies who come in and they say, well, we're about to start this partnership with a team in Japan. The flags are going in my brain going, okay, this is, this is a something that you probably need to radically not reconsider, but you need to take a very big step back and think about how you're going to do it. Because most of us say, okay, new collaboration, new partnership. Here's what we're going to do. We'll do a uh, intro call, set up, establish the rules and processes, and then we'll go for it. In the case, in my experience, when we help other teams figure this stuff out for Japan, for example, my advice is to, we're going to slow this process down considerably. Um, if you think you're going to get three or four things done and agreed upon, especially if it's new ideas or things that haven't been done before, You've got to be much slower about it. And in the short term, that'll be very frustrating to a lot of people, but it'll actually, um, it'll actually shorten the, the program in terms of deliverables down the road. So ironically, by slowing down at the beginning actually enables you to be more, to, to be more fast and, and hopefully you know, hit your milestones down the road. Um, that's one. One of the, I keep getting, companies here in Singapore uh, who are French companies and their headache is trying to uh, work and play nicely with their, with their headquarters back in France. And I've found that in those situations that has, that's been more difficult than other parts of the world uh, 
there seems, and I, I'm going to speak in generalizations here, and I'm trying to, you have to be very careful when we get into this because there's all sorts of landmines and, you know, uh, this can sound like stereotyping. This, there, there's all sorts of things we have to be very careful with here. Um, what people have found is, and what the data suggests is that uh, headquarters back in France has a pretty rigid structure and way of doing things. And it causes frustration overseas more so than other uh, country headquarters in other parts of the world. So yeah, so that's, that's my long-winded way of trying to safely and politically correct say that um, we, we see a lot of challenges with uh, satellite offices from French headquarters. Okay. I mean, I think that's, isn't that fairly typical from the standpoint of many times in any country, the, the headquarters have people that are relatively segmented. They have slices of the work. And when you're overseas, you tend to be like doing everything. And that's a, that's not a naturally compatible It's not. And, and um, in fact, so that, that's where a lot of my business has grown, which is coming in and as a consultant, as a, as a trainer, um, helping headquarters because it's the people in headquarters that have become accidental business nomads. Uh, they're the ones who never wanted to go and work as expats or do that. And that's fine. There's not, that doesn't matter. But now all of a sudden half their day is being spent dealing with customers on the other side of the planet. And you want to talk about expensive mistakes. It's very easy to upset somebody in a different part of the world if your working style clashes with their working style. And sure. if you don't have the tools to be able to understand what's going on, that's where those mistakes get very expensive very quickly. Got it. Yeah, no, no, no question. So, uh, so it sounds like you're continuing to do some consulting work along the way. So is the, the idea that as the book comes out, you'll, you'll either continue or accelerate the amount of work that you're doing with helping companies? Yeah, the um, one one of the things that is kind of fun that's come out of this is um, because this this isn't a typical business book. It's much more of just a, a narrative uh, and and with you know some lessons that you stumble into along the way. I kind of wanted to write it as almost like a conversation that you would have with somebody after work over a couple of drinks. So it's got a informality to it, and that, that was the intent, which was to keep this just easy easy read as a starting point. But there, as I mentioned, there's a couple of uh, characters that I look at and I do a bit of a deep dive to, to see what makes them tick, what are they doing right, where did they go wrong? And what we've done is I've started turning those into case studies that teams can work on. So let's say that you've got a team and they've got some type of communication breakdown. Well, it's, e it, it, what you could do is go in and say, okay, let's talk about exactly your communication breakdown. Well, what you find is that people clam up and they stop talking real fast because there's politics involved. They don't want to have some, you know, direct confrontational conversation. But if you can take a parallel challenge that somebody else faced, uh, Claire is a character in the book who is trying to hire people from different parts and she's got a personality clash with some. Let's, put, let's, let's advise Claire. 
let's read this chapter together. It's almost like a book club. Uh, let's read this chapter and then let's break out and discuss. What advice would you give to this woman on day one? What advice would you give her on month 12 when she's got this small team that is in this pretty dire situation? There's no trust. There's all sorts of uh, backstabbing going on. Out of the tools that we've just walked through, how could you apply those to help her over the next three months? And what I'm finding is that when you do those hypothetical case studies, people dive into it in much more uh, vigor and enthusiasm because it's a safer way to talk about some of these challenges that they themselves are going through. It's just, we're not talking about their problems, we're talking about this hypothetical. So what's turned into, uh, I think the business is gonna start growing more in this way is do, using, I've got now half a dozen case studies that have come directly from the book. And you know, if you can, if you can, and a team can go through and work through a couple of these things, you walk out of there in a much stronger situation than before. So that's where I'm aiming the business right now. I'm, I don't have uh, visions of, of giant corporate status. I, I like to keep this stuff small. And so I'm, I'm just continually working with a, with a small group of clients that are interested in solving for these types of problems. Got it. It sounds like your intent is to hang out in Singapore for a while. Well, we, we kind of can't leave. I mean, we, you know, if, if we do leave, we're not coming back uh, right now. But um, yeah, to, to be determined, it depends. What's, 2020 shakes everything up a little bit for everybody. But yeah, right now we're, we're happy here. I, I, this is a great place to be uh, for, for a number of reasons. But I, I, I think that as companies continue to have this new, strange global uh, footprint, place like Singapore is certainly one of the, the hot spots for that. So I think I'm, I think I'm in a good spot right now. Fantastic. Well, we're, we're getting close to the end of our time here speaking. And so I'm wondering, maybe we can do some wrap ups, you know, uh, tell us uh, more in terms of uh, the book and who is it going to benefit and who should be, uh, who should be going out and I end up uh, getting it. And I understand there's a, there's a special deal this week as well. Uh, and uh, sorry, could you repeat that? You just, I understand there's a special deal on the book as well. Yeah, it's, so I'm, I'm working actually, I, I think the book, was, the book was written for people who, who would identify as being accidental business nomads. Uh, and meaning it, it's not necessarily for somebody who has 30 years of expat experience. If, if, if they do, hopefully they'll find the book amusing and, and might get some ideas from it. But it's meant for the people that have woken up and they realize that, some of their day is now dealing with people in different parts of the world, or they're involved in multicultural teams, geographically dispersed teams as well. So it's a pretty wide um, range of, of target audience for that. The, um, I'm doing these, these case study works with a number of universities. And so we actually put this uh, promotion together. It was aimed at students, but everybody can take advantage of it. I think just for this week only, they've lowered the ebook down to $2.99, which is just, a, I'm dating myself, but you know, there were no ebooks when I was in university college. And so that's how they're having their students buy books now, which is fascinating. Uh, oh. So this was designed for two specific universities because they're going to have their students read the book and then we'll do some specific case studies. But it's a, it's a good time to scoop up some copies for people at, at $2.99 for, for an ebook. 
Uh, and so that's on right now. I think that ends on the 21st or 23rd of September. I don't know when this thing goes out, but uh, that's, that's what I'm up to now. And yeah, the rest of the year will be spent talking about this type of stuff. I'm obviously focused more on virtual and remote teams and how this applies into those specific settings. So I'm doing more research and, and work on probably another project around this topic as well. Uh, so that, that'll keep me busy for the rest of the year. I thought it was interesting that your, your marketing team is from your college, right? Did you go to college? Is it, do you pronounce it Bowdoin College? Bowdoin up in Maine. Yeah. I, um, I built one of the parts of the book is I, I, I tapped on my network back home and I started bringing a bunch of interns and postgrads over during the last downturn. So in like the uh, financial crisis, when nobody was getting hired, I started bringing a ton of people over to Asia to help them get started. Uh, they were, they were my cheap labor. And so I ended up uh, basically partnering with the school to have this ecosystem of, of fresh talent coming in to be able to do this. Now, Bowdoin is a liberal arts school. So it was interesting because I found that the skill sets that I needed were liberal arts. I needed people who could do five different things good enough. I don't, I don't, I didn't need experts. You know, I didn't, I didn't need somebody, somebody who could figure out how to articulate a cloud software one hour and then figure out how to set up an event in a different country the next time and then figure out how to read through the um, employment regulations in Manila the next hour. So I needed somebody who could wear those multiple hats very quickly. Uh, and I found that that kind of liberal arts background was really helpful for it. So I turned that back on this year again to have the team start building a promotion machine for the book. The question we had was, how do you market and sell a book in a place where you can't, you know, in a time when you can't travel, when you can't do face-to-face -face events? Uh, and so we tried, to, we tried to rebuild how we go to market with that. It's still a work in progress, but uh, that's, that's how I'm still tied into the school and, and working with interns. Long distance between uh, Bowdoin, which uh, is- Almost uh, as long as it gets. Like we're, it's, it's the opposite side of the planet, almost, almost exactly. Both uh, geographically and, and culturally, well, boy, what a difference with Singapore as well. They're the polar bears. That's their uh, mascot. And they, they're, the zoo here had a polar bear. The poor thing died. But um, yeah, not, not, not many polar bears at the equator. I think, that was our, uh, I think that was our WhatsApp chat group. I think we called ourselves the equatorial polar bears or something like that. <laughs> Very far from the equator, for sure. Really want to thank you for your time today. Is there anything that you'd like to say in closing? No, I've just, uh, I appreciate what you guys are up to. I think that the message is so critical now to... Um, to make sure as, as there's this noise of protectionism and, and breaking trade deals and people thinking that it's all about um, a local kind of future, I'm seeing just the opposite. Um, there's, there's nobody here across Southeast Asia, there's protectionism talk everywhere, but the opportunities now and moving forward in this digital virtual world are global. So. Uh, I, I'm, my message is to not take our eye off the ball here, which is the fact that opportunities are most are just everywhere. And, and you being right in the heart that there, 
you know, the growth in the region is spectacular, isn't it? And, and it's, you know, we're, we're, everything is in a bumpy road right now, but um, we are poised to, that growth will kick off again yep. and it'll go fast. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. A total, total agreement. And we're seeing the same thing around the world as well. So yep. really want to thank you, Kyle Hegarty, for the conversation. The book is called The Accidental Business Nomad, A Survival Guide for Working Across a Shrinking Planet. You proved today that the planet is shrinking. Um, I think you've shared with us ways that we can make it both smaller and and be more successful in it. And that's really all we can ask, right, is, you know, there's so much opportunity out there. How can we become more effective, productive? And the book does a really great job of giving the, the tips and ideas and, and platforms for people to, to, to learn and to, to be more effective in, at work. And what's more important today, especially the teams that you talked about, right? The teams that we tend to lead are, not one culture yeah. they're they're multicultural and and it sounds like you do that on almost a routine basis my my goal here is to try and uh get people to avoid the tragic comedy that we talked about at the beginning let's <laughs> yeah a lot less humor a lot more success uh well, but, yeah. but hopefully, hopefully yes yes have well, I'll, along I'll the way <laughs> well very good thank you very much the beard looks great um, keep keep that up. Uh, very very distinguished, and uh, appreciate your time today. Thanks everybody for joining. Uh, watch for this on the Global Chamber podcast. Thanks, and have a great rest of your day. And we'll be looking forward to to being in your day in a few hours. Take care. Thanks, Doug. Thanks, Kyle.